Well, good morning once again. It is time to open God's Word. God's Word to us this morning comes from the very last verse in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 will be our text this morning. One verse, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. This is our last sermon in our series on 1 John. And I cannot tell you what a beautiful feeling that is for me, uh, having... Uh, spent years and years and years uh, dreaming of preaching through a book of the Bible myself uh, all the way through. And now we come to the end of First John, having hit every single verse in this wonderful book. What a blessing it has been, uh, at least to me, and I hope to you, to go through this book together and to hear God's Word for us. I, I want to give you kind of a roadmap for the next uh, few weeks and months of where we'll be going after we finish 1 John. Uh, we'll have a couple of Sundays here upcoming where we'll, we'll be preaching on uh, texts that have to do with the Christmas season uh, and the coming of Christ. So we're going to hit a couple traditional Christmas texts in the next couple weeks. Uh, we'll have our Christmas concert on the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, and then afterward, the very last Sunday of December uh, and the Sundays in January, we'll be doing some uh, standalone topical messages uh, and then in February, we're going to be going back to a book in the Old Testament. All right? And so that's where we're going in the next few weeks and months. Uh, but today, the throne of your heart is the theme of our message from 1 John 5, 21. Back in 1979, Bob Dylan released one of the greatest albums ever to be produced called Slow Train Coming. And the first track on that album is called You Gotta Serve Somebody. And that song goes a little something like this. I'm not going to sing it. The lyrics say, You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And what's he saying? He's saying it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you do, and it doesn't matter how much power or influence you have. You cannot get away from the fact that in this life, the way God has created things, you have to serve somebody. You have to serve something. Another way to say it is everyone is worshiping something. Everyone. No matter who you are, everyone is worshiping something. Something must always be sitting on the throne of your heart. And the only question is, will it be God or will it be something else? The throne of your heart. Let's read our text this morning. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. John ends his letter with this one charge, this one verse. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from from idols. As he has often done in this book, John refers to his readers as little children. He has a pastoral heart from the very beginning of the book. These are his children in the faith, so to speak. And he is trying to look out for them as a parent would a child. And he says, keep yourselves from idols. Now, I'm taking this verse and I'm, I'm taking it by itself to address it. Because some, as you read through the, the last chapter of 1 John, some see this as kind of a disjointed verse. All of a sudden it comes out of nowhere. After all of the themes that we have covered, all of a sudden he says, 
keep yourselves from idols, and then boom, it ends. It's, it's almost a mic drop moment, so to speak. But it's connected. It's connected with the whole rest of the book. Think about a book where the whole point is to help us to know whether or not we are genuinely saved. It is fitting and proper to end such a book with such a theme with the charge, keep yourselves from idols. And so this morning I want to address three questions that this verse brings up to us. Three questions. Number one, what is idolatry? Number two, what, why are we so prone to it as human beings? Why are we so prone to idolatry? And number three, how can we keep ourselves from it? And so first, what is idolatry? What is idolatry? Is idolatry taking a block of wood or a big piece of stone and carving it and fashioning out of it some kind of statue and then setting that up to worship it? Well, it can be. But be very careful of reading the Bible and thinking, oh, those primitive people who, who struggled with worshiping statues, those primitive people, I'm glad we are not like that. I'm glad we don't struggle with idolatry. We very, very, very much struggle with idolatry today, just as much as they did back in Bible times. Idolatry is not just worshiping a statue. Idolatry is when you let anything other than God, sit on the throne of your heart. When you let anything other than God sit on the throne of your heart. Now, it's easy to look at others and spot their idols. It's easy to look at others and spot theirs. Much harder, though, to spot your own. You see, in big cities, in metropolitan areas, because of where we live in small-town Bible Belt America, it's real easy for us to look at the big cities and the metropolitan areas and to think, well, I'm, I'm really glad that we don't worship vain things like they do. You know, money, fame, physical appearance, power, influence, fancy lifestyles. I'm really glad that we don't struggle with the idols that, that they do, because we're not like them, right? But don't ever forget... We're all human. We're human. We all have human natures. We all have sinful desires. Our sinful desires have been the same since the beginning. Since the very beginning. Even John in this book has mentioned that. That ever since the time of Adam and Eve, we have struggled with the same desires, the same sinful desires that they did. It's, that, it's just that they, they manifest themselves in different ways. Right? So think about it. Both a rich person and a poor person can idolize money. Both a rich person and a poor person can idolize money. Both a corporate CEO and the town gossip can idolize power. Right? Fame and popularity are just as tempting here in a town where everyone can know your name as they are in Hollywood. And so, don't ever forget, you are human. Just like those other people, that it's, it's so easy for you to see their idols. You're a human being too. None of us are above this. Right? So, idolatry is when you let anything other than God sit on the throne of your heart. Or you could say it this way. Idolatry is when you let your joy terminate on the gift instead of the giver. 
Idolatry is when we let our joy terminate on the gift instead of the giver. Every good thing comes from God, and yet so often we turn those good things that He has given us into ultimate things. And we seek from those things what only God can give us. And we refuse to acknowledge the one who gave them. This is idolatry. It would be like human beings on earth being fascinated when they go outside with the fact that they they feel heat. The fact that there is heat. Or going outside at 6 a.m. and being fascinated with the fact that all of a sudden I can see. All of a sudden it's not dark. All of a sudden things light up. Or being fascinated with spending a couple hours outside in the summer and, and getting a tan. And yet never acknowledging that there's a sun up there that does all of those things. This is, this is idolatry. When we let our joy terminate on the gifts instead of the giver who gave them. And so anything, anything can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. Right? Idolatry is when you let anything other than God sit on the throne of your heart. So anything can be an idol. Idolatry doesn't have to involve things that are inherently sinful. In fact, think about it. Nothing God made is inherently sinful. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells us that everything God created is good. Everything God created is good. It's only when those good things are twisted and perverted and turned into something they were never meant to be when they become sinful. Right? And so anything be- can become an idol. In fact, sometimes good things, good things are, are more tempting for us to make idols out of than things that are inherently sinful. Tim Keller in his book Counterfeit God says, the greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. That makes a lot of sense. You can put a good thing on the throne of your heart and still be guilty of breaking the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You can put a good thing on the throne of your heart and still be guilty of breaking that one. Think about how many good things we struggle with and we fight off making them more important than God. Perhaps the the most respectable of all idols, at least in America, is the idol of family. This is a good thing. Family is a good thing. And yet, we can make family more important than God. We can make decisions and commitments to our family even before our God. Or, Or think about sports. We can make sports idols. I, I love watching NBA basketball, but we can make these things idols. The teams that we follow, or, or, or even the, the sports that our kids are involved with. It's so tempting to make an idol out of our kids' activities. Our kids' travel ball teams and sacrifice everything else on the idol of our aspirations for our kids to be good at whatever sport they're involved with. We can make an idol out of love. I'd venture to say almost all of us, at one point or another in our lives, whether we are married today or not, have made an idol out of love. Or our career. This is, this is easy to do. We're all prone to it, our career. Or good things that, that entertain us, or recreation. Think about the recreational things that we're tempted to make idols out of. Hunting, camping, fishing, boating. We're tempted to make idols out of good things. It doesn't have to be an, an evil thing 
that you're worshiping. Anything else sitting on the throne of your heart other than God is an idol. And so I hope that gives us a good sense of what, what is idolatry? Because it's not just the picture that we get in Scripture sometimes of making a golden calf and bowing down before it and says, this is our God, right? We do the same thing. We just perhaps don't fashion something out of wood or stone or precious metals. But the second question we need to ask this morning is, why are we prone to this? And we, we've, we've hinted at this over and over again, even already. Why are we so prone to idolatry? Because we are. Every single one of us, every single one of us is prone to it. You might be tempted to idolize things that don't tempt me, but you have yours, believe me. You're, you're living in denial if you think you are not prone to idolatry. Every single one of us is. So why are we? Well, it's because God made us a certain way. God created us a certain way. He created us to worship. You were made to worship. You were created to worship. He created us with hearts that worship. You can't help it. You must worship. This is the way you were made. But ever since the fall in Genesis 3, sin has infected our hearts. And so now we have to worship something, and yet at the same time, we have an aversion to God in our hearts. Right? We were made like this. We have to worship, and yet at the same time, we have an aversion to God in our hearts. And this makes us really good at creating idols. We're good at this. You don't even have to try. Right? We're good at this. As we come up upon the Christmas season, I remember the idolatry of my heart when I was young. I remember getting in my head those one or two things that I, I, I wish I could receive for Christmas. And if I got it, it would satisfy the desires of my heart, right? That's everything to me. That's, that's what I spend all my time thinking about. That thing that I want for Christmas. I, I, I sit and gaze at the catalogs of the toys and the, the shoes and all the stuff. And when, when you look at that and you look back on that feeling, you recognize this is... This is idolatry. This is tending toward idolatry. None of these things are inherently sinful, but my heart. I have to worship something. I have to be enthralled by something. I have to serve something. And yet at the same time, I have an aversion to God. John Calvin, hundreds of years ago, said, The human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from his mother's womb, an expert in inventing idols. How true is that? Everyone worships something. Even if they don't acknowledge they are worshiping, everyone worships something. Everyone has something they live for. Something they give sacrifices to. Some God they give tithes and offerings to. They even do evangelism for whatever they worship, for whatever they're living for. Well, let, me, let me paint it in a more practical way. Let's think about UK sports for a second. Now, I know none of you would struggle with this, but UK sports, okay, UK basketball, let's, let's say someone is idolizing UK basketball. Is it really true that they could worship that thing? Is that really true? Or is that taking a, a step too far? Well, let's think about it. UK basketball. We, we gather together to raise our hands and shout our praise. Do we not? We, we offer our money, our tithes and offerings. We offer our time, our service. 
We evangelize. We want to convince other people to come and worship the same God that we are. We want to persuade others to believe what we believe about the team. We, we study and we memorize, do we not? We study the team, we study the players, we memorize facts, we memorize stats, we memorize where they're from, we memorize who's on what NBA team who used to play for UK. And when they are receiving glory, we are happy. And when they're not receiving glory, we're disappointed. We're angered. Sometimes we're devastated. Sometimes you, you can't talk to us for two hours after the game's over, right? And we sacrifice all other life events and commitments for worship attendance, whether it's attendance at the arena or at the television. We'll sacrifice everything else for worship attendance. You see, you can worship something. It sounds an awful lot like worship. I I had one person at some point, I forget whose book I was reading, but they said, if you were to transport someone from a different time and a different culture into ours, and they would see a, a concert venue or, or a, a, a professional sports venue, they would think what we were doing was gathering for worship. That's what they would think, right? And so everyone worships. The only question is, what will you worship? You don't have a choice. You're worshiping. The only question is, what will you worship? Even the atheist has a functional God. It's just not the God of the Bible. Something will sit on the throne of your heart. you got to serve somebody or something. And we all have our different proclivities. right? You've got yours, I've got mine. We've all got our different proclivities. But one that unites us all, one idol that every single one of us struggles with, is the idol of self. The idol of me. Am I going to sit on the throne of my heart? Am I going to displace God's rightful place on the throne of my own heart? You see, we're, we're coming up on the Christmas season. One of the, the stories that we read over and over again in the Bible to our families, to our children, to one another during this time is the story of the wise men showing up looking for Jesus. And they show up to King Herod, right? And when they show up to King Herod, because that's the place where You would find a king, you go to the palace, but they show up, they meet King Herod, and then they say this. They say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, if you're a king, and you're sitting on your throne, and some people show up, and they ask you, where's the king? Well, all of a sudden, that that introduces some fear. That introduces some some discomfort to Herod because he is the king. Here's some people showing up asking, where is the king? He is the king. Wait a second, is there, a, is there a, a rival to my throne? And Herod's afraid of losing his throne from that point on. He has all the male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding region killed. And what you've got to see there, for our purposes this morning at least, is there's a little King Herod in each one of us. There's a little King Herod right here in every single one of us. Part of our sinful nature that doesn't want to give up the throne. The idol of self. We want to rule our own throne. We don't want any competition. And yet Jesus comes in and Jesus says, I will have the throne of your heart or you will not have me. Jesus wants to rule the throne of your heart and he wants to displace you 
off of the throne of your own heart. And the beautiful thing about Christianity and the hard thing about Christianity is coming to the realization that he's going to do a way better job on the throne of your heart than you are. This is, this is what we're doing. Every time someone puts their faith in Jesus, right? We, we had a young man put his faith in Jesus last week and get baptized. And what he said was, I've been trying to do this myself and I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. Well, that's exactly right. That's wisdom right there. Jesus is the only one who can run our lives. If you try to run your own life, you're going to make a mess of it. How many of us have already done that? How many of us have tried? We make a mess of our own lives. Jesus has to sit on the throne of our hearts. And so, last question. We've asked the first two. Last question from our text this morning. How do we keep ourselves from idols? This is John's charge to us. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. How do we do it? How do we keep ourselves from idols? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to discern our own idols. We have to discern our own idols. What are the things that I am tempted to put on the throne of my heart instead of God? I have to discern my own idols. You have to discern yours. Tim Keller, in his really good book on this topic, Counterfeit Gods, he gives us some great diagnostic questions. Right? And so I want to go through a couple of them with you. Diagnostic questions. How can you diagnose the problem? How can you discern your own idols? Well, think about this. What do you daydream about? What do you daydream about? What do you spend your time thinking about when, when you get bored, when you don't have anything to think about? Where does your mind go? Right? What do you enjoy imagining? What are your fondest dreams that might reveal to you something that is an idol? Or question number two, what do you most fear losing? What do you most fear losing? What, if you lost it, would make life not worth living? That might be an idol. Or perhaps this question, what makes you lose control of your emotions? What makes you fly off the handle? What makes you uncontrollably angry or anxious or guilty might reveal an idol in your heart. Or how about this one? What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your money on? The, the, the balance sheet, the bank statements, they don't lie. It's the, the honest, ugly truth. If someone else looked at your bank statements... What would they say you valued most? You know, we can say, oh, of course, God. God is the thing that I valued most. But what if someone looks at my bank statements? What, what would they say I valued most? Or finally, now it's time to step on some toes. What are you willing to miss church for? Sunday morning attendance can reveal an idol in our hearts. Sunday morning worship attendance. I mean, think about what we're doing here. What are we doing when we come to church? This is not behavior modification time. This is not, you know, nice thing to do because a person in the, the community who's upstanding and has a good family goes to church. That's not what we're doing here. We're worshiping God. We're, we're worshiping the creator of the universe. We're worshiping the one who is supposedly sitting on the throne of our hearts. We're worshiping God here. And so what are we willing to miss that for? Right? 
Sunday morning church attendance reveals our idols. Is it family activities? If we have an idol of family, we'd be willing to miss worshiping the Lord for our family. Kids travel ball, camping, hunting, comfort. You know, some people will miss it for sleep. You know, even though the worship service doesn't start till 10 and most people's jobs start at 8 a.m., some people are willing to just miss for sleep. It's comfort. It's an idol. What about Saturday activities? Can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Saturday activities. We, we, we were doing so much on Saturday that it affected our, our Sunday morning church attendance. You know, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision oftentimes. Sometimes you've got to give your Saturdays to the Lord so that you can give your Sunday morning to the Lord. But those are just some diagnostic questions to help us. We've got to discern our idols if we want to keep ourselves from idolatry. But second, not only do we need to discern our idols, but we must seek and experience a greater satisfaction in God. If you can experience a greater satisfaction in the Lord, then the the pithy little satisfaction that idols can give to you, it'll look unattractive in comparison. If you can seek and experience a greater satisfaction in the Lord, because you can look for satisfaction everywhere else. And we, we do. We look for satisfaction everywhere else, but only God can satisfy the desires of your heart. Those other things cannot give you what they promise. Way back in the 4th century A.D., a very wise Christian man named Augustine said, and he was praying this to God, he wrote it down, he said, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And it's so true. We can go everywhere else. We can look for love in all the wrong places, and we will not find it. And it's a grace. It's a grace from the Lord that we experience that dissatisfaction everywhere else. Because ultimately and finally, it points us to the one and only place where we can satisfy the desires of our hearts. Everything else disappoints. You remember the story of Jacob in the Old Testament? Jacob is a sleazeball, and he runs off away from his brother Esau because he's afraid of him. He runs off to Laban, his family members over here. Right? But, but Laban's a trickster as well. Right? And so Jacob says to Laban, he's, he's absolutely enthralled with one of, Jacob's, or one of Laban's two daughters, Rachel. Rachel is so beautiful. Jacob thinks she's the most beautiful woman in the world. And Jacob says, I'll work for you seven years for free if you'll give me Rachel, your daughter. And Laban says, well... It's better that I give her to you than somebody else. So, okay. Well, what happens? Seven years go by, and on the wedding night, Laban, when it's dark, and the women have veils over their their faces, Laban sends Leah, his oldest, less attractive daughter, to be with Jacob. And Jacob doesn't realize it until the morning. You see, what happened was, he goes to bed with Rachel, at least so he thinks, and in the morning, it's Leah. Now, With all due respect to Leah, who has a very high place of prominence in Scripture, right? This is the way life works when you put anything other than God on the throne of your heart. You go to bed with Rachel, but in the morning, it's always Leah. It's always Leah in the morning. The idols will always disappoint. They will never give you what they promise. 
you will wake up disappointed time and time and time again. Only with the Lord will you find the satisfaction that your heart desires. Every disappointment in every other idol points us to God. Now, you can't just expel your idols, though. All right? That's only the first half of it. You can't just expel your idols. You have to replace them with a greater satisfaction in God. You can't just expel them. Something must sit on the throne of your heart, right? Something must sit on the throne of your heart. So if this morning you find there's something else on the throne of your heart, you can't just get that thing off. Something else is going to come on. Something else is going to get on that throne. And so you better make sure it's God and not some other idol, because Satan would be perfectly happy for you to kick lust off the throne of your heart only to replace it with power, right? Or money. Something's got to sit on the throne with your heart. So you can't just expel your idols. You have to replace them with a greater satisfaction in God. In Matthew 12, Jesus talks about this principle. Matthew 12, starting in verse 43, Jesus is talking about when an unclean spirit leaves a person, a person who's been demonized, Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation." One of the lessons there is you, you can't just expel your idol and leave your heart to, to whatever else. Something else is going to come in. At every point in time, something is sitting on the throne of your heart. You've got to serve somebody or something. And so you have to replace these idols with a greater satisfaction in the Lord. But let me tell you, when you experience the satisfaction that only God can give, all other satisfactions begin to look weak and unappetizing. And you, your taste buds start to change. Slowly but surely, you don't want those weak and lesser pleasures anymore because you have found a greater and more lasting pleasure. You have found the one who can truly satisfy the desires of your heart. Charles Spurgeon once said, When the love of God is shed abroad in the heart, the idols will soon depart, and the love of sin will take its flight. Or in Psalm 34, 8, we read, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's my challenge to you this morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you want to fight idolatry in your heart? Well, the greatest way to do it is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Spend time with the Lord. Seek satisfaction in the Lord. Go to Him in Bible reading and in prayer. Spend time around other people, other Christians that you can see they love the Lord. Spend time around them. It's contagious. You will catch it. You will find yourself longing for what they feel because you can see it in their eyes and you can hear it in their words. You can see it in their life. Taste and see that the Lord is good, because when you do, all other pleasures don't have the same taste anymore. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the desires of your heart. And when you 
experience his satisfaction, you won't look for it anywhere else. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to do what John is calling us to do. God, help us to keep ourselves from idols. Help me to keep myself from idols, God. We are all prone to it. We all feel the pull. God, as we come up upon this season of materialism, help us to keep ourselves from the idols of stuff that we think we need, that we don't have, from the idol of coveting the things that we see and the things that others have that we don't. But God, there are so many more, so many more idols that we struggle with. Please help us. Help us to know, help us to discern what are those things that I am prone to myself. And God, help us to experience such a satisfaction in you that all other pleasures look small in comparison and unappealing. God, you have told us in your word that if we seek you with all our hearts, you will be found by us. I pray that you would. Help us to taste and see your goodness. Help us to experience it, to know it in our hearts. Because if we could behold you as you are, if we could taste and see your goodness, that would provide us with such a power against idolatry. We pray that you would give it to us in your son Jesus' name. Amen.